0: OK, I was with you last week and and the big sort of takeaway that we talked about last week um, was this idea of, of putting off the old habits, putting off the old ways and putting on the new. And, and I told you last week that this week we would start to get practical and we are going to do that um, but before we before we get too practical, there's one passage we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And I want to start out there to set the tone of, of what we're going to be talking about. So we have a couple of guys with mics ready for comments, ready for questions. You guys were shy last week. Um, I'm expecting you to have tons of great comments and questions tonight. But, but here's my first question. And I would love some feedback. We're going to read a verse in a few minutes that talks about... Uh, it says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And before we read the scripture, before we talk about what that looks like and get into the subject, what do you think it means? What do you think it means or how do we grieve the Holy Spirit to set the tone for the conversation? What does that mean? Okay, we got a couple of hands already. It's a lively bunch. Two hands in the first two minutes. Is it uh, because the Holy Spirit's living inside you? It's not doing things Against that, that okay. cause grievous to the Holy Spirit inside you. Okay, good, good. Here's here's a distinction. Um, when I was growing up, I remember the Holy Spirit being called it. It don't bother it. Well, the Scripture says the Holy Spirit is a person, alive inside of us. So yeah, there's there's an element of, of grieving a relationship. Yeah. I think the perception is is that it's separated from Christ and God because yeah. He's here with us. Yeah. Absolutely. So we stand in the the, the line of, of tradition of Christianity and evangelical Christianity that says we believe that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, and that's a mystery. The Trinity is a mystery, but we believe that Scripture teaches that idea. Yeah. It's being inappropriate. Inappropriate? Yeah. Absolutely. Being inappropriate in, in the way that we're living. Anybody else? There's a hand way back there in the back and then one up right here. Grief is attached to loss. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Grieve, grieving and the, the idea of loss, that there's a separation that's, that's taking place. Yeah? Well, It's similar. It's uh, do, do not deny the Holy Spirit. Don't okay. believe that the Holy Spirit does not exist. Okay. Inside you. Denying the work of the Spirit in you. Okay, yeah? Uh, I think if the Holy Spirit prompts us not to do something and we go against that prompting, it's sure. grieving the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's not acting in accordance of how the Spirit is directing and leading in our life. Okay. okay. Very cool. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 25 tonight. And those are all good statements, all good thoughts. And, and, and what we want to understand tonight, Cornerstone, the mind, is that everything that Paul is talking about here. Is rooted in the aspect of relationship. The relationship of us to the Holy Spirit. Is our relationship to God. It's the same thing. You can talk about it the same way. And so just as if I do something to offend my wife. I don't know husbands. Any of you ever grieved your wives? Wives can raise your hands. I guess it it would work either way. In that exact same type of intimate relationship where inappropriate behavior or rebellion, disobedience, separation, it, it, it's, it's the same concept. And so as we talked about last week, in this process of, of putting on who Christ has called us to be, in, in becoming the men and women that God is calling us to be in Jesus Christ, there are things that we are to put on, habits, attitudes, like we talked about last week, and there's things that we are to take off. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Let's jump in full speed ahead. Um, first word, therefore, does anybody know what you do when you find a therefore in scripture? You find out what it's there for. So therefore, he's saying in light of what we just talked about, in light of the putting on of, of who God has called you to be in light of that, therefore, each of you, each of you who call yourself a follower of Christ, each of you who, who has been created in this, this new self by God must Put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Does anybody know what the ninth commandment is just off the top of your head? Thou shalt not bear false witness. The the, the bigger context of that command... Is, is not just don't lie. The bigger context. And what that command is calling you to. Is it's calling us to truthfulness. It's calling us to truthfulness. The same about this passage. It says we put off falsehood. The same exact way that, that those, those verses before. Where would that have been? In verse. A few verses before. Whatever. There it is. Verse 22. says we put off We put off our old self. Paul comes back to that words and he says specifically put off falsehood. Take it off. Stop lying. What are specific ways in our culture? Not, not, not anybody in this room, but other people outside of this room. What are specific ways in our culture? People are false. They're lying. What are some ways that we are not in our culture these days living truthfully? Just you can shout these out. Taxes. Tax fraud. Whoa. Okay, what else? Athletes. Athletes. What was that? Heard something. I'm getting... Spending more than we have. Man, you're getting personal. Those people out there. Celebrities? What'd you say? Pastors? Yep. Yep. Those people out there, right? Keep talking about them The greek culture that paul is writing to in ephesus Is full of this kind of behavior Not unlike our day-to-day You have to turn on the evening news you see it. It's right there Same thing would have been true in ephesus. It was all around them. It was pervasive part of the greek culture was If it's convenient you lie if it's to your advantage you lie if it helps you in a situation lie Tell them whatever they want to hear to appease them and to make you look good. It's just how they did it. I want us to do a quick little study of Proverbs. So turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to flip to a few different passages. And, and and this will just give you a very, very quick glimpse of how frequently the scripture talks about lying and being truthful. And this is not a lesson that I need to take just to our fifth and sixth graders and say, kids, don't lie. The reality is there's there's something subtle that sneaks into us even as adults. Little let's let's say white lies. Well, I was just sort of bending the truth. I was just not telling the whole truth. And the Bible speaks very clearly of this over and over again. Pro, first one Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes A lying tongue, and not just because you're interested in the rest of them, let's read the rest of the list. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. So Proverbs 6, verse 16, seven things he hates, haughty eyes and a lying tongue. A lying tongue. So he says that that's just something that that God hates because that sin is destructive. Proverbs chapter twelve. Proverbs twelve verse twenty-two. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. He delights in those who are truthful. Go up one verse. I skipped this one. Uh, I'm sorry a few verses 19 Proverbs 12:19 Truthful lips endure forever but a lying tongue lasts only for a moment Proverbs chapter 20 verse 17 Food gained by fraud or lying tastes sweet to a man but he ends up with a mouthful of gravel Interesting word picture similar to our Bottle of dirty water. Doesn't end well for you. It doesn't end up tasting good in the end. Proverbs 21 verse 6. This is a good word on lying to business leaders. To people doing their taxes. To whatever. Proverbs 21 6. A fortune made by a lying tongue. Is a fleeting vapor. And a deadly snare. So all that to say. Scripture speaks to this frequently in revelation 21 you don't have to turn there the bible says this in verses seven and eight he who conquers shall have this heritage i will be his god he shall be my son but as for the cowardly the faithless the polluted the murderers the fornicators the sorcerers the idolaters and all liars their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death so not, not to scare you, not to, to do anything to frighten you, but just to say the reality of, of what we're talking about, the reality of what Paul is saying when he says, put off falsehood and be truthful, be people of the truth, be people who live and speak and believe and obey and, and, and are, are encouraging others with the truth. Because what we say, there's such power in our words and the way that we speak into other people's lives and the way that we conduct ourselves, our mouth, our words reveal, the scriptures tell us, what's in our heart. So if we were to give you a test today of where you are in your walk with Christ and we were to examine all of us and say, just by an audio recording of the words you have spoken today, we're going to see what's coming out of your heart. And the Bible says if lying is a part, the reality is it's revealing something deep that's in our heart. A couple of questions for you. Why do we lie? Fear. fear. Absolutely. What will somebody else think about me if I tell the truth? So it's a lot of lying is fear-driven. It's, it's trying to, to put forth a certain persona The person that I hope to be, why else do we lie? Greed? Do you hear that? Absolutely. Greed. What? Selfishness. Selfishness. Only in knowing Christ, the true one. Can we find who he is created to be people of the truth finding our identity in him? It it gives us no reason to lie. It gives us no reason to to be worried about an image to to live out of fear or greed or selfishness in finding ourselves in who he has called us to be. Only then can we live the truthful lives that he would want us to. And I wish we had time tonight to go into the truth of of God's character and promises and and the motivation that it, it, it would give us to understand who we are in Christ takes away the impulse to lie. Because the promises of Scripture are, are so great and so profound to who we are. And, and the Bible tells us that truth-telling, it's a work of faith. We discover who we are in Christ, and just being people of the truth just begins to come out. But, but here's what's interesting. I want you to, to, well, before you even look at the Scripture, the, there's an interesting thing that Paul does to turn it here. And, and, and if I would say, okay, why do we lie? It's because fear, greed, selfishness. But, but why is it wrong to lie? Why, why is it harmful? I think a lot of us would probably say, I'm sorry, I cut somebody off. Somebody had an answer. I think a lot of us would say, it's a sin against God. You know, when David committed the sin with Bathsheba and he repents in Psalm 51 and he says, God is against you and it is against you alone that I have sinned. And first and foremost, I think that's right. That that lying is is hurtful because it's a sin against God. Christ himself. God, it's a, it's a separation kind of thing. But Paul doesn't go there. I think Paul takes for granted that that's part of it. Paul says there's something else that's so devastating to, about lying. Look, look back in verse 25 again. He says, speak truthfully. Every person speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. We're all members of one body. And we need, as members of one body, we need, as the church, to be people of the truth, encouraging each other, supporting each other. Honesty needs to be the hallmark of our relationships because we need to have a place where we can be ourselves, where I can be myself and you can be yourself, where I can be accepted for who I am and I don't have to put some face forward, some pretentious kind of, this is the image I'm trying to be, and you can be who you are. And in truthfulness, we can live lives together. Understanding one another and, and, and not sin against each other, but build a community of faith that trusts God. And he says if lying at the core. It, it harms the body of Christ. Yeah. Hi, Pastor Aaron. How do you um, combine being truthful with being almost brutal, like hurting somebody's feelings. I mean, sure. I think everybody in here has been asked a question, you know, do, do I look nice in this outfit? <laughs> and you're sitting there going... Mm. It's like the and Geico commercial where Abraham Lincoln's wife says, does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> look fat? <laughs> <laughs> Good, Yeah, sure. That's a great question. A very practical question for tonight. I don't think Scripture says lie. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear about that. But I think the reality is this, in a context of, of, of an onto, honest relationship, in a context of a truthful environment, a lot of those superficial things fall down. And in a context of a truthful, honest relationship, the real things are the real things. And, and, and a lot of the superficial baggage and weights that all of us carry, no matter what they are, they fall to the side and we're free to be who God has created us to be. Because we're accepted, because we're loved, because it's not based on all of these secondary issues. It's based on who we are in Christ. Um, You know, there's still going to be those awkward moments. There's still going to be that kind of thing. But it's opening up ourselves to live in in a life where we are fully loved, fully accepted, no matter what we do to somebody. Now we understand the uh, lying tongue. How about the haunting eyes? eyes. Haughty eyes. Yeah. What are they? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I think, gosh, anybody like a real good English like scholar definition of haughty eyes. I, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Pride would probably be one, um, but that's another another line. That was just I was trying to get to that lying part of that. So it's pride. Let's let's just say that it's pride. Um, I always wondered, um, and I don't remember where it was in Scripture, but there was that. Um, when the spies broke into Jericho, sure, um, and uh, the woman that sure. hid them, yeah, Rahab, mm-hmm. she Rahab. she lied, sure, and that was, you know, obviously in accordance Great with God's Great question, will, but it was a lie. So how do you set that question the two? Oh man, I knew you guys would do that to me too. <laughs> Great question. My mind's gone blank right now. There's another. There's another instance in Scripture besides Rahab hiding the spies, where they lie. My mind just went blank um whatever that case is so th- so the question becomes um the modern day example that's always been used on that issue is you're in germany how long ago would that have been 60 70 years ago you have jews in your home the nazis come beating on your door asking you are you hiding jews in your house what do you say i can't tell a lie yes i do they're over there since you asked me that's the modern day example of that question um So, so here, let me just say, guys, listen clearly. I'm speaking as Aaron, not as a representative of Cornerstone. So this is my personal opinion on this issue. I think there is an an area and I don't want to even go here, guys. So if you want to debate me, come talk to me afterwards. I think there's a time of the lesser evil the greater evil. And in my opinion, in that case of that Nazi situation, in the case of Rahab and the spies, I would say God doesn't condone and say, yes, lying. Good job. But I think it's allowable for the saving of a life. That's my personal take. It's my personal take. Come talk to me afterwards. I don't want to get sidetracked. We could literally talk all night on this ethical dilemma. Um, we really could. And so this is just one point that we want to get to tonight. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it's that God was looking at her heart in why she did that, sure. why she lied. Sure, So, there we go. Let's not, honestly, I will talk with you afterwards. Let's not get sidetracked on that one. Okay? So, here's the deal. We, we've got to understand what Paul is specifically addressing in the body of Christ, the unity of the church, the, the fellowship we have with each other, is this lying, deceitfulness, if that's in business practice, if that's in personal life, if that's whatever in our speech, it's divisive, it's disunifying, and it has no place in the follower of Christ's life. And he saying we've got to put it off. We've got to become men and women, people of the truth, people who speak the truth, live the truth. It's who we are. It's who our identity is. Is in Christ. Okay verse 26. Let's keep going. In your anger. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. While you are still angry. And do not give the devil. A foothold. So Paul abruptly switches gears. And he goes immediately from lying. Into the context of anger. So here's my question for you. Is there such a thing as good anger? Give me some examples. Christ in the temple. So Jesus comes into the temple. Um, The money changers, the, the business people of the temple have started setting up shop and they're selling goods and services in the midst of this holy area. And the Bible tells us that Jesus... Flipped the tables over, ruining their business, running them out of the temple. Do you think he did that, sweet little Jesus? Oh, you guys are so silly, selling things. And he's turning. He was angry. He was angry. He was frustrated. He was upset that they had turned the house of God into a place of business. He was angry. Yeah. When Jesus got... I w- I'm not sure about the disciple it was, but when Jesus got mad at, at one of the disciples for falling asleep when he was on the mountain praying. Yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. I, they don't use the word angry, I don't guess, neither one of these, but absolutely frustrated. He's, he's angry. He's saying, can't you even stay awake with me one hour and pray? You just fall asleep. W- what other examples? You guys are real spiritual. You go straight to the Bible. What other examples are there of just being angry? A good anger? If someone's threatening your family... Absolutely. If somebody's threatening your family, hey, here's an idea. Just turn on the evening news. There'll be three or four things you should get angry about just watching that. Yeah, you had something else. Um, Yeah, in 2 Kings 19, Mm -hmm. Saul burned with anger when the men would not volunteer to fight in his army. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a a hand raised back there. I'll tell you this story while you're getting to that hand. Um, A few weeks ago, I, I had the opportunity to meet Um, A judge, a Supreme Court judge for Los Angeles County. He was the highest ranking judge in that county. He was assigned years ago to preside over the Catholic priest sexual abuse scandal for L.A. County. Do you think that's something worth getting angry about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's good to be angry at or um, even hate what God says he hates. Just like the verse yeah. that you read there in Proverbs yeah. not too long ago yeah. where it says what God hates. We should also hate Absolutely. those things. Absolutely. God God hates sin. We, in turn, we should hate sin because, yes, it's it's an affront to God. Yeah, somebody here. Oh, yes. I was, uh, I was reading my little footnotes down here where, where it says, you know, the Bible doesn't say don't ever be angry. Mm-hmm. But then Paul teaches... Uh, deal with your anger thoughtfully and yeah. immediately yeah. and don't let the sun go down on your anger lest yeah. the devil get a foothold. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so look at the rest of that verse, guys. Let's read it together again. He says, um, in... Uh, where am I? In your anger... In your anger. So he, he's presuming that there are things in life we will get angry about. In your anger, do not sin. So here's the deal. There's a difference between... Anger, righteous anger, you could say, and an anger that's rooted in sin. Yeah. You said that David allowed the Pharisees to turn the temple into a market. That Jesus? Jesus. But Dave, well, but it was you. You made the responsibility David's. David's? Said David was. If responding. I said David in about that, I misspoke. I'm sure that's what you said. Yeah, I, if I, I don't think I said that, but sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. <laughs> sorry about uh, yeah. I don't think I said that. If I did, sorry. Um, I meant Jesus in the temple. Um, so here's the deal: in your anger, do not sin. So look, here's what he says. Where is the anger rooted? Is it anger? Is is the anger rooted in the righteousness of God, or is it rooted in sin? He says this: Do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Because if you do so, you're giving the devil a foothold. So in scripture, there's different times, whether it's based off of injustice, whether it's based off of oppression, and this is in our context as well, whether it's based off of abuse. I remember vividly, probably all of us remember where we were when 9-11 happened. When we first found out about 9-11, I was in seminary and I was, I was, you know, I was a student, I was young in ministry. I was trying to figure out life and ministry and everything. And the, the, the chapel just had this ominous feel as everybody started entering. I had no idea what was going on. The president of our seminary got up there, began to speak. And he said, I am so angry right now. That's how he started it before he told us what happened. And you know, that gets your attention, right? When the guy like leading your seminary stands up in the first words, out I am so angry. And I thought, what did we do? And I just remember vividly the the, the angst and the the passion he had to say, how could people do that? How could that kind of injustice take place in our world? And he was angered. And and so there's there's not anything wrong with that when when there's things that we should be angry about. But the word specifically here used for anger and angry. It's not boiling over mad. It's not the quick blow your top kind of angry. It's it's the deep-seated, determined And settled conviction of a heart. It's not the person that says. Hey you just got angry. It's the person that you look at and say. You're an angry person. You know the difference I'm talking about. Not the. Hey you just lost. You lost it for a moment. It's. Your very countenance is one of anger. There's a. There's what scriptures talk about in different places. There's a root of bitterness in your heart. And every time circumstances don't go your way and every time something begins to happen where you lose control or you feel threatened or or you're you're just not having your way in a, a good day in life or it's a bad hair day or whatever. I don't know this little root of bitterness that has taken hold in your heart. It, it, it begins to bear fruit and blossom. And so Paul is warning us here to examine our hearts, to, to put off those hearts that are angry. And he's saying the first thing that we can do in our lives is do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's, it's the same thing that was just said over here. It's, it's dealing quickly. It's keeping short accounts with God. It's, it's, it's the reality. Again, married folk like me. If you've, had a, if you've had a disagreement, if you and your spouse have been going at it, do you really think letting it wait till morning is always the best solution? Sometimes, maybe. But, but here's what Scripture saying. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It literally just means this. Keep close accounts. Don't let things fester. Don't let them just continue to brood in your heart and for, for just animosity to be a, begin to rise in you. Deal with them quickly. Because if anger is held or nursed, it can lead us into sin. And this anger is is sin, it's self-defensive, it's self-serving. Turn to the left in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, do this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Especially like this kind of drink, right? Um, In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good and, and so this is the posture that 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 Paul is calling to us to take throughout scripture is a posture that says anger is rooted in I didn't get my way anger is rooted in, in a lot of ways all of these are rooted in fear they're rooted in greed they're rooted in self-serving attitudes and he's saying in in a, in another way would you just step back and you would you realize God is sovereign God is in control and if and, and things in life that happen to us that aren't fair God is sovereign and God still knows every detail of your life. God is ca- cares and con- is concerned about everything that happens to you. And it's not our job in life to harbor bitterness, to seek revenge, to get even, to pay back. It's not, we're not living in the Old Testament days where it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He calls us to trust God completely over every aspect of our life. Yeah. So when somebody murders another person, it's not right for that person to be put to death? Good question. Good question. Uh, and let me just say this: that's an implication on down the line. If you want to talk about that again, I could be here all night sitting at the front. But but here's here's really what what Jesus is getting at: um, back to the heart of the issue, back to the heart of the issue. And so what Jesus says on that specific issue is: you've heard of it said of old, do not murder. But I do not murder. But I say to you that if you're angry in your heart against someone. Isn't it the same thing? It's, it's a condition of the heart that, that Jesus and that Paul are trying to expose. That's a legitimate question. It's on down the road a little bit. Uh, tonight, I'm just, I'm just trying to say, let's examine our hearts before God. So allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and not give, as, that, as the passage said, don't give the devil a foothold. Because here's the problem. Here, here's the problem in the end. In the end, if we harbor bitterness, if we hold on to anger, if we say, I'm not going to forgive that person, we lose. We're the ones who are robbed of our joy. We're the ones who lose out on life because we're holding this grudge. They may have done something wrong. They may have, you may have every reason in the world to be angry, to not forgive them. But the reality is your unforgiveness and your anger holds you captive. And the gospel says this, the gospel says that we need to forgive others just as Jesus has forgiven us. And the reality is, if we don't forgive others when they wrong us and all of us have a story and all of us have a reason not to forgive. But if we don't forgive others, scriptures say we really don't understand the grace of God. Because you can sit here and argue, but that person doesn't deserve it. And I would argue from Scripture, you and I don't deserve God's forgiveness either. It's all because of grace. Yeah. Aaron, a quick one on that. We're trying to live in Jesus' image, right? So when you say we should forgive as Jesus forgives, it's harder for us to do so. So, is the bitterness something that has to be deep seated and last, or is it just, you know, normally it seems it might take a while to get over something and then you're okay? Great question. Is, Great question. I, I think I would simply say there's a huge difference between forgetting and forgiving. All of us in here tonight have been hurt in some way. If I say, Have you forgotten about that? Every one of us would say, No, because I just remembered it as soon as you said it. The scriptures never say forget, they say forgive. And so, so what the scriptures call us to, whether it's deep-seated, you know, bad stuff, whether it's some little stuff that we're holding against, the pattern is still the same. The pattern is recognizing that God forgave us when we didn't deserve it, that God was gracious to us, the, the scripture says, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us, not because we deserved it, but because he's gracious. And so we experience the forgiveness, not based on who we are, but based on who he is. So we give forgiveness, not because that person deserves it, not because I deserve it on my own or or, or have the ability. As Christ, like you said, in the image of Christ, at the pattern of Christ, as we understand his forgiveness for us. It just becomes an overflow. The deeper we understand it, the deeper the gospel saturates us, the more grace we show other people. Because we realize all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is non-forgiveness really taking on the sin load so you are sinning by not forgiving? There's freedom in forgiveness. Absolutely. Thank you. I think the reality is, I'm thinking about that. The reality is Jesus says, in the same way that you forgive others, Heavenly Father will forgive you. So if you're not forgiving others, then... Yeah, I think I think so. I think you're walking in blatant disobedience to God. That verse said um, in in Romans, the verse that I just read said. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. First Corinthians says, be reconciled. Our responsibility is to try to reconcile every relationship we have. Our, Our responsibility is to go to take the steps. We're never responsible for the other person's response. We can say, I'm sorry, let's make this right. I've taken a step forward. If the other person says, I don't want anything to do with you and leaves, that's not my fault. I've done everything in my power. But if I refuse, if I'm that person that says no way, yeah, I think scripture says you're walking in sin. I had a response to the gentleman over there. Sure. And I think the difference is that if you um, hear something and it reminds you you haven't forgotten but if you have like a righteous anger that riles inside of you then you haven't forgiven Hmm. Hmm. that situation yeah i mean the reality is our emotions can yeah can still be stirred with a memory some of us in this room we know the pain of of dealing with unforgiveness and, and and some of you know it on a scale i don't even imagine but the reality is christ says no matter what has happened we can find the freedom to forgive in him. Frederick Buechner, I found this quote, I thought this was pretty interesting. He says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. That got my attention. To lick your wounds, to smack your lip over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue, the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. You know what he's talking about? Like, oh, I wish when I see him again, I'm going to give him this one line or I'm going I'm to stick it to him. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. He says, "To savor the last twosome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. in many ways it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you." He paints this picture to say, when we're, when we're living in anger, when we're living in this, this, this trap that we've allowed ourselves to be pinned in called anger. We're the one being devoured from the inside. We're the one decaying and rotting because we're unwilling to let the grace and the gospel of Christ come and set us free and come and deliver us. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 28. I just love to beat Pastor Lynn and do a few more verses than he covers. And he's like, How many verses did you do? I'm like, I did four verses. Because he usually does like one and a half, it's a contest. Verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So here we go. The eighth commandment, do not steal. And Paul is coming and saying the the reality is there's there's this old habit, this old pattern This old way of the world that is a way of stealing. It's a way of getting what is mine. It's a way of greed. And he's saying that pattern is to exist no longer. Stealing as well is an epidemic in our culture. What are the different ways in our culture right now that that you could talk about examples of stealing? Maybe from the evening news, the newspaper, stories you know. Not in this room, of course, but out there. Identity theft. Stealing property. Copper. Yeah. Politicians. Politicians. <laughs> that's Mike's. That's his only word tonight. <laughs> Piracy. Embezzlement. Yes. Credit card. It, it, it's, it's the actors and actresses for some reason who like to shoplift. That, that one gets me like I'm like, wow, you've got all the money in the world. Um, padding expense accounts. Bad policies. Yeah, absolutely. Plagiarism. Reporting more hours than were actually worked. You guys are doing big ones, I'm doing like the little. Ooh. Taxes. Not paying fair wages to someone who deserves them. Taking advantage? Defrauding? What was that? Tithing? Woo, you really went there, didn't you? I didn't say that, guys. She said it. Tithing, that's what she said. Just kidding. I'm just joking. But that's what scripture says. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. This is what I think is interesting. You could almost phrase this passage by asking this question. What is the opposite of stealing? And on one hand, you could say giving. But it's almost as if Paul addresses it another way to say, no, the, the opposite of stealing is actually this. Work. Doing something useful with their own hands. In order to share and give to someone in need. There's a big difference there. Um, If you are in here and you have suffered in our economy and unemployment that is rampant in our culture. But you're looking for a job. This is not talking about you. This is not talking about somebody who's struggling and lost their job and blah, blah, blah. This is not talking about that. This is talking about someone who is lazy. Who is idle. And there again, that is referred to. In this passage, this is talking about somebody who's forty-four years old, still living in their mother's basement, playing video games eighteen hours a day. That's who this is talking about. But this is what it says: Don't steal, but work. Flip uh, to the right a little bit to Second Thessalonians, chapter three. I read this verse this afternoon and I just thought, I don't even think I've ever heard it in this light. Like it, it just received it. And it's just it was just a powerful word. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse 10. <clears throat> Paul writes here, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. That's pretty powerful, huh? We hear, did you, but, so did you see that if a man will not work, not somebody who wants to, but can't find a job, if you refuse to work, if you will not work, he shall not eat verse 11. We hear that some of some among you are idle. You're lazy. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. I thought that's a pretty good phrase. They're not busy. I mean, everybody in our culture is busy, right? Like, man, how are you doing? I am busy. Like that's a hallmark of, oh, I'm so proud of you, you're busy. He says, No, no, no. These people we're talking about, they're not busy, they're busy bodies. But the rule that he lays down is if a man will not work, he shall not eat. And what Paul says is if you've been stealing, stop stealing. If you've been lazy and idle, get out of that. And begin to work. And he says, doing something useful. Do something useful. Do something helpful. Do something beneficial. He's saying, don't find yourself doing work that, that, that just the work itself is destroying and disobeying God's commands. Do something that's useful, beneficial, Helpful. Work with an attitude and a heart that's more about just getting a paycheck. Work with an attitude and heart of saying, how can I be obedient, a good steward of the blessings that God gives me? So work then becomes not about a paycheck that you can bring home. Work becomes about, I'm glorifying God in the attitude and the heart by which I work. I'm glorifying God by the way that I steward the money that he entrusts me with. And then he says that. This is one of those big sort of, Phrases in in the Greek language that you do something useful with your hands that so that. You can have something to share with those in need. The one of the biggest blessings and one of the biggest joys and privileges that some of us have never experienced. Is being able to be a blessing to others. It's not about us being a blessing. It's not about us getting for ourselves so we can spend on ourselves and enjoy ourselves. It's us. We're being blessed so that in order that we can be a blessing. And I think what scripture tells us over and over again is there's a joy to be found in giving that far surpasses the joy of getting. If you're a parent, you understand that you understand Christmas morning there. There's just nothing. There's nothing you can get. That is that is so incredible that compares to seeing your kids delight in joy. With a stinking six dollar box of Legos, and they think it's the greatest thing the world's ever seen. There, you know, my son's so excited this past Christmas with a simple little gift and the joy. It, it really is in those moments that you realize there's something in me that resonates. It's better to give than to receive. It's better to be a blessing than to be blessed. And that's what Paul is calling us to, to to put off those old ways, to put off selfishness, to put off greed, to put off this idea of life is about me and what I can get and what fun I can have and what experiences I can have. Life is not about that. Put that off and put on. Life is about being a blessing. Life is about sharing. Life is about giving. Life is about working and doing everything for God's glory and for God's honor so that others can experience the blessing of God as well. Yeah. How do you feel about the welfare policies? (laughs) Seriously, there's no way I'm touching that with a 10 foot pole right now. I'll talk to you afterwards with the other 50 people. Yeah, I can't. I can't go there. (laughs) Not great. That's all I'll say. You're trying to stump me tonight, aren't you? All right, here's what we're going to do. Let's stop right there. And I want us to do something and I want us to pray. And and this is really serious. I want us to pray and say, "Holy Spirit of God, search my heart." There's there's more that I can go to there, but but that idea of grieving the Holy Spirit. Would you pray, Holy Spirit, search my heart? Is there anything in me causing you pain? Is there anger in my heart? Is there falsehood? a struggle with lying and and trying to impress other people and inflating myself so that I look good and try to be somebody? Is there a struggle with lying, falsehood in in your life? And and just pray, Holy Spirit of God, would you reveal to my heart? Would you reveal to my heart if there's the struggle with anger? And tonight before the sun goes down, would you deal with it? Have you been stealing? And I don't mean you've went out and robbed. Maybe you've been cutting corners. Maybe you've been... Those little, little things have seeped in. So God, we pray tonight. Search our hearts. Because for those of us in this room who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves followers of Christ... None of these things can exist in our lives without us causing you grief, causing you pain. And my hope and my prayer for every man and woman in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, is that they would know the joy of a relationship with you, God. The joy of knowing Jesus Christ. The joy of of having the holy, your Holy Spirit living inside of them. I pray that they would know that. And as we have seen in Scripture, that things like falsehood and anger and and stealing, and selfishness and pride and greed, they separate us from you, God. And so tonight, um, as your word says, if we will confess our sins, if we will say I'm sorry, if we will turn from our sins, if we'll confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. And so God. Search our hearts. And if that's us tonight. God I pray before we take a step out of this room. We would say I'm sorry. And we would turn from those sins. And we would turn to you. Because we know you are quick to forgive. Quick to restore. Quick to show us your love once again. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. Thanks for great questions and comments. Uh, have a great week. See you soon.